And you get these figureheads like Bezos and Zuckerberg uh, and Elon Musk, which I think are also kind of plants. Here's or thinks plants? about them. They also own the media, so keeps people away from talking about these more sinister, dark things that are going on. Well, there is there is a conspiracy on the fact that Amazon, it's funny, oh, Amazon executives yeah. have been known to leave Amazon and then go run another company that ultimately was a competitor and somehow these companies are then going bankrupt or closing shop or yep. selling out to Amazon. Yep. It's like back in the day, propaganda always seemed so much easier because it wasn't really an easy way to confirm or deny what was going on on the ground. It's back. Everyone's like, oh, well, social media, people can post stuff and show us stuff. No, they can't. Okay, welcome to the Master Keys. This is the long-awaited, much-anticipated conspiracy episode, but I am Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. This is a podcast that's normally about real estate investing and wealth building because that's what we do for a living. Uh, we've built our portfolios to you know, a couple hundred units um, in a short period of time too, which is exciting. So this community is about sharing that. We can all grow together. But you guys came out. You supported you hit the goal count of, uh, I think it was only 100 likes on the video, and now our new video is up around 200 likes. So all this is super exciting. You guys can see what a difference it makes for us in the algorithm. Uh, whoa, the canopy didn't uh, the last canopy, I Get can't, that back I, on I there. Can't, it's not staying. Get back it's on there. It's not staying. All right, um, I'll do it for the first conspire. So, I mean, we've talked about this episode for a while, and, and I think people need to, to listen to this one because it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and we're going to throw out some ideas. But also, man, I, I went down the rabbit hole of like a little history lesson on like multinational corporations and how we got to where we are, which is essentially a debtor Western world uh, and so on. So what, what? Yeah, I just want to quickly explain the reason. Yeah, so we got the 100 likes. You guys wanted it. We also kept kind of digressing whenever we were talking about stuff with our random conspiracies. I was really bad for it because I came up with random ideas uh, in the middle of things. I'm like, but do you think it's because of this? And Chandler which also was a nut. Um, so no, I love that about yeah. you, you nutty little bugger. <laughs> so yeah, so Chandler has a lot of information on, like you said, a lot of the corporate stuff and kind of the history of like the big, big conspiracy theories. Yeah. And then I just have a few that I kind of like personally thought of and kind of have things that I think about sometimes. I'm like, is this how this really is? So yeah, I think let's dive into your stuff and, and start walking people through it so they understand. Yeah, as always, I mean, if you're having fun with this particular episode, even if you just like the way Neil looks in tinfoil, press a like. Uh, I would love to hear any of your crazy conspiracies that's that you can throw fans down fans. On, on the comments here. What's that? So that's an OnlyFans thing. That, what's that? Me wearing the tinfoil. Oh, yeah, yeah. The full tinfoil <laughs> and a little bit of saran wrap uh, <laughs> is at our Patreon uh, if you want to see Neil in that. So don't forget to hop <laughs> over onto there. Um, but so it's funny. The more I do this, like, all right. Conspiracies are, are an interesting because they they suggest an agenda and like an organized plot towards something, and I think that there is that going on in droves now. But I think it's important to understand how we got here to this modern economy, this modern world. COVID was like the biggest like conspiracy pot turning thing of oh, recent man. times. It just got everyone reinvigorated. Like oh, a hundred percent. And then there's the Great Reset, and we're gonna get to all this stuff. But backtracking a little bit, a lot of this comes back to you know transnational or multinational corporations. And then so it got me thinking about well, what is a corporation, and how did they evolve to have the strength that they do? So corporation comes from like the Latin corpus, which means uh, a, a body of people. And originally, when the idea of corporations came together. Um, it was so that a group of people could act as one sort of legal um, entity. And it's interesting, when they were first founded, the idea of them, they had to have two things. One, they had to have one stated mission, and they had to 
work for the common good of the people. And, you know, people will laugh if they hear that idea of a corporation now because uh, that's not necessarily what they do. It's maybe kind of the opposite. Um, But that was the idea of what it meant to form a corporation. And then something really curious happened. If you're familiar with American history and the 14th Amendment, which uh, most people associate with freed slaves, um, and it outlines there in the 14th Amendment how every individual is equal under the eyes of law. Uh, But there's this interesting caveat there that says corporations also are effectively people and are likewise equal under the eyes of law, which allowed them to do a couple things, um, enter contracts, um, litigate and sue, um, but also things like um, they could have a corporation could have effectively a religious belief. Uh, they could lobby. They could donate. Um, and that started to trickle into uh, the influence of corporations over time. And it's such a crazy idea. But you remember when this came up a few years ago when there was all the marriage debates mm-hmm. uh, in the states and abortion rights in the states and corporations. Like This is why technically if you're a corporation, you can refuse service to someone based on your supposed religious affiliation. Is because under American law, thanks to the 14th Amendment, corporations are effective people yeah um so that's a a crazy cool uh history and and why they are now protected and able to do things like lobby governments and donate things that you'd think should never be allowed but that's why if you go kind of again back in history um it's like well why aren't there laws against this well there actually are they're called antitrust laws Um, you've probably heard of them and they kind of were founded because back in the day the old school big barons of Uh, American history, which like your J.P. Morgan, your Rockefeller, they controlled like railways, Mm -hmm. um, you know, production, steel, and those were called trusts. Like you were a big steel trust. And it got to the point where consumers were like, this is ridiculous. We're being gouged by these companies because they're so big. They're so powerful. Yeah. So all these antitrust laws were established to effectively prevent monopolies from happening. And for a while... You know, they, they did a good job of that. If any corporation got too big, they'd be broken up. And you still see this a little bit today. It's like whenever, a lot with Facebook and a lot of the tech companies now. Yeah. It, Amazon. Well, you know, Facebook was the biggest one recently where Zuckerberg was in there and they made all the memes of him looking. Well, you know how. Um, he wears a tinfoil hat. You, you know how even like in our industry, we got cracked down on because of the MLS and realtor system. Mm. They were saying was like too much of a monopoly and we were hoarding this information and that was detrimental to the public. Yeah. And likewise, anytime you see one of these major airlines in Canada talk about merging, they have to have these, these hearings say like, all right, is this for the best of Canadians? Same thing, telecommunications. Yeah. Is, is a big one, right? So there's all these laws supposedly in place to prevent corporations from, um, you know, becoming so big that they can exploit and take advantage of the public. So these antitrust laws were put into effect, and for a long time they worked until essentially uh, they didn't. Because what happens was, um, like all these things were kind of moving simultaneously. But for the first half of the 20th century, you can say that there were relatively strong antitrust laws and the American economy was doing, you know, coming out of the recession uh, and especially coming out of um, the Second World War, the American economy really started to grow. And then you get this simultaneous thing of the baby boomer generation. And the baby boomers are interesting because they're the first generation that really grew up with the American dream. Like the, the successful people of the American dream were always happening, but those baby boomers were instilled with this idea of the American dream and really evaluation, a value placed on education, i.e. university. 
right? We talked about this a lot in the last episode. Do you feel the American dream is something that was created by the corporations? Oh, here we go. All right, good. Neil's diving right into it. I mean, I, we're here to conspire. Yeah, I think that, um, you know what I, I think of university and the university, um, in, like the big business of, of American universities is hugely corrupt and it has sold people on this fake idea of the American dream or at least like, you know, this idea that you have to have a degree to get ahead and in order to get that degree, you have to take on more debt than you know, anyone else has ever taken on before in, like, the history of mankind. It makes no sense for the government to... So you're saying the universities and the, and the educational institutions have kind of created the idea that it's a requirement? Oh, 100%, right? Like, there, it... Why do you think corporations have been into it, though? Where most positions now require you to have a degree. Why have they done it? Um, oh, gosh. I mean, I think there's probably a pretty heavy link between a lot of these major corporations and these universities because, especially down in the States, like, a couple things that are crazy. In the U.S., like, universities and colleges don't pay taxes. Like, they are tax-exempt. And that mm-hmm. includes the big football stadium where you go there, you pay all the money, you buy your beer, you buy your hot dogs, you buy the jerseys, and they get all these they're TV contracts. Cashing that in. That is tax-free, right? Uh, and the corporations um, know that, all right, well, we want to be the firm that builds that stadium, you know, we want to be the supplier for, you know, the waste removal on campus. Like, we want all those things. So yeah. the corporations actively feed into this university institutional-like system that's been created. And also, uh, they're oftentimes heavily connected to the banking institutions, which then make money off, off the interest. Interesting. Yeah. Back to the American dream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that whole concept is corporately created? Um. Oh, man. I think... I think the education thing to what you said, to respond to that, though, I agree with what you're saying, especially in the States. In Canada, I don't find it as prevalent, but I do think there is merit in getting a degree. Totally. Um, there, there is merit in doing it. I didn't love doing mine, but I, I do think I learned things and I became uh, a stronger mind if I had, if, like, than if I hadn't have gone. But you're preaching to the choir, man. Like, I taught for a while. Like, I worked in, in universities. I, you know, did a bunch of degrees. Like, I, I believe in the value of education. Totally. But the way, like you said, the way they set it up, the amount of money that they charge, and in the States, it's a lot more prevalent that they overcharge like crazy. Yeah. Um, and then they have really weird background things. Like you said, they don't pay any taxes. They don't pay some of their student athletes. Like, but they charge for all those things when they're there. So there, there is a lot of weird stuff that goes on with that. I guess my thing is with the American dream as a whole, which is a super massive topic, we'll probably get into this for a bit, but like, does that not seem like that was something that was created by corporations to benefit the corporations? Like, because if you look, if you look, uh, and like, uh, let me explain yeah. my, my thought on this is the American dream, the idea is that you get out of your house, you become your own strong, independent family, you purchase a home, you purchase your own car, you purchase your own lifestyle, and the more that you purchase, the better you're doing in that dream. Um, and when you look at other countries in the world, lots of families still live under one single roof. And even as they've developed to be more first world, they're just continuing to live within one family home. They're sharing things within it. And we'll see it here. A lot of our, our immigrants that come here, even if they have very, like, really good means and they've done very well, they still live under one roof. Yeah. They still share everything they have. They're still more resourceful in what they use. But yeah. here it's, like, this idea that it's, like, well, I'm successful. The dream is well, I think based on me being able to just be more almost wasteful in some sense. Yeah, it's funny how these things kind of evolve over time. And, and I think I think you can make an argument that early on, the American dream would have been promoted by the government because this whole thing, you know, ask not what your government can do for you or your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? Like there's this idea that you are individually responsible for making your own way, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, and 
you know, if you can't afford university, well, you need to work a little bit harder, right? Because yeah. the American dream is you're going to work hard, and then we promise you there will be a payoff. If you work hard enough, we promise you that there will be a payoff. And I think as a government, you can see the merits of that because then you don't have to provide as much. You can say, well, if, if you're not thriving in life, that's probably your own fault. Uh, and then I think what you're talking about is more the consumerism that became associated with that. Yeah. And that's another thing that came over the, out of this baby boomer generation because you had this suburban sprawl, and you kind of had this shift between you know, this idea, maybe a bit more rural idea of like owning real assets. You know, you owned businesses, you owned lands, you owned um, capital that, that produced, like even if it was a tractor, like you owned stuff that yeah, had yeah. inherent value. And with suburban sprawl, you start to get this idea of like keeping up with the Joneses, um, which even though it was, I think from a, a, a comic strip that was at the start of the 20th century, you really sort of, it, it really became part of, contemporary culture like in around the 1950s this idea of you know we now have black and white tvs in the home and then color tvs in the home and everyone buys a vehicle and you know we get the above ground pool and that you know lifestyle that middle class suburban lifestyle became about creature comforts and Mm -hmm. niceties and then you have this idea of well maybe the american dream became tied to materialism and consumerism and so now it's maybe not just the government ha- that has a vested interest in the american dream uh but also um you know corporations yeah right? because once people once consumer culture like really exploded which is in the second half of the 20th century you got the advent of money lending so like gm was kind of one of the first major companies to finance and in like 1920 they started to give you loans to buy your vehicles and then in 1930 they did the same for your appliances and this coincided with people starting to have cars and have appliances in their home and the diners club first diners club card was in 1950 and the the bank america card or bank america card was 1958 and that became visa and by the 1960s to the 1980s you started to get actual credit reporting what we now think of as like equifax and that all came in the second half of the 20th century as you know, this this middle class um, interest in having, you know, what we would call now uh, luxuries, right? Yeah. Right? Everyone had to have it. It was keeping up with the Joneses. And with that came consumer debt. And what's curious is um, all of this stuff was kind of coming to a head in the, you know, 70s and 80s, uh, which is also the time that you know, the government got off gold-backed currency. Yep. Um, there was a big push towards really cheap money. So there was kind of this boom um, in the late 60s into the early 70s, not dissimilar to what we have now, which is a period then all of a sudden, like, money was cheap, everything was humming along, consumer debt was going through the roof. Like, it's something like the consumption went from 60% of the GDP to what now is about 70%, which quite a bit. Household debt jumped um, dramatically from basically being non-existent um, up until the 70s, it grew and grew and grew. And then this is very similar to what we have now, which was there's this period of crazy inflation in the early 1970s. And we're talking like, you know, double-digit inflation. Like we're panicked now where it's like 7 and 8%. Mm-hmm. We're talking like 14% uh, inflation in the early 1970s. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that a bit, but the inflation numbers now might be higher if we got a true accurate representation because those inflation numbers from back then better encompass the actual goods that people consumed versus today. Um, yeah. But another thing I just thought of, and this is not to go back and not to be flip-flopping everywhere, but on the education thing, it's interesting that um, the government's now bailing, trying to bail out a bunch of student loans, which would mean that they're incentivizing people to go to, the, to, to school. 
uh, by offering all these new options to take student loans, yeah. pay less, forgive more. Um, and it's weird that they would support that industry. Um, but on the flip side, as a government, I think the idea is, is the more people that are educated, the higher their country performs as a whole, the more the country is respected, and the efficiency and production per worker in their country grows. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and to what you're saying, like yeah, the debt, the debt thing is when things really started to kind of go ballistic. Um, yeah, I mean, like there's this great quote, I don't know who it's by, but like, as soon as you take a debt, you're giving someone your liberty a little bit. Right. And if you want to talk about being enslaved to these big corporations and these big banks and and even governments like, well, that's a quick way to keep get people under your thumb. Um, Yeah. You know, once like these these periods of uh, big booms that are followed by heavy inflation that are followed by big recessions, you see how things start to move around during those times. Was so we talk about, like you said, when they first time this happened back in the 80s, late 70s, they cranked rates through the roof. I think. I think they didn't know exactly what to do and what was happening and 100% and they were trying to control and, and figure yeah, it yeah. out. I think since then where they've done these fluctuations, that's being controlled. Oh, totally. Like, like, like what I think was going on right now, like these are things that are have been designed and created um, to help benefit the larger corpse. Yeah. And I think they're the ones that are pushing, kind of pushing and pulling the levers you always refer to. Um, they're the ones that have the ability to do this. Um, yeah. But... Can we jump right into like the COVID stuff and the money making printing that's going on right now and kind of the China's backing on it? Totally. Let's let's take it there. Okay. So like Chandler just referred to what happened in the eighties. So we had this happen now, but it was kind of artificially forced by printing a ton of money. And what they what did they do to make them print a ton of money? We had COVID. I feel that the COVID concept, like I feel like that's a manufactured disease or like sickness or what, what I don't Ooh. even know what it was, but I think that that I think that virus. was created virus. It's a virus that was created, honestly. Well, there, there, there. I mean, people are gonna think that's absolutely absurd. Oh, totally. But there, there, there's very strong evidence that it was being cultured in a lab. Yeah, right? I'm not saying it's like, fake. Like, I'm not saying like that people didn't get COVID, people didn't get die, people didn't get sick. Like, I totally believe that all took place. But I'm just not convinced that it just was formed out of a wet market in China. Yeah, I think that's that has kind of been debunked purely. I don't think this is like someone ate a bat and like there there was a problem as a result. Like, it is not uncommon for, you know bioscientists or whatever their 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 title would be to experiment with different cultures of different variants yeah. and um there have there has accidental been, releases and stuff too yeah totally and there has been um reporting of these labs saying listen we want to get ahead of these virus mutations yeah. and the best way to do that is to mutate the viruses ourselves and see how they evolve and continue to um combat them Right. And it's easier to combat them in a lab preemptively than, you know, to let nature take its course. And they had made an application to do this, one of these labs that was refused because, like, yeah, it seems a little bit risky. And then interestingly, not many years later, um, there are links to that same lab with this uh, original variant of the, the, the coronavirus that's caused us so much grief. And like, I genuinely believe that this coronavirus is a fight from China on the States. I actually do. Like, I think, like, I've talked about this before a couple times. I'm like, New World Order, New World Order. It, 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 a lot of things line up to that. And when you look at what took place, like, through COVID, the won actually grew in value against the U.S. dollar, right? Like, this has helped their benefit their currency. The U.S. has been absolutely demolished. And the only thing that's weird, like, with China, it's like, how much of it is legit? Like, they show those videos of them, like, locking doors, welding doors shut, this and that. And the only thing, I'm like, part of me is like, are they doing that to try and make us think like this is how crazy things are going and that they're getting hit just as hard or are they not like actually taking like their their case Man. numbers are really 
like again we don't know like case numbers they were saying they weren't getting any cases for a while like they have so many weird things like that and so my thing is did they do this to cause an absolute downward pressure on the u.s u.s currency i think i think it was more the best defense is a good offense i think they saw what was going to happen in their own economy and we've talked about the collapse of their economy that is also very real right like um there's some terrible things oh neil's getting called right now from uh his uh, Xu Jinping, what? The? <laughs> uh, just a, a laser just <laughs> takes me out. Um, I mean, I think they saw the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Let, let's let's explore your your. Let me finish. Here. Let me finish. Like here, here's my thing. Like this is the other thing is like, like how far can you go with it? Where it's like, do you believe anything that's coming out of China? It's like even like with their their so called crash and this and that. Like they have so much strength for how much money they receive from the states. Um, like. This is <laughs> so. I'm I like, like, I'm, I'm like I'm, let's go. I'm I'm big on the new world order concept. Like I believe um, that the, like when you look at a timeline, everything's kind of gone that way. The states now their growth is starting to to taper in a lot of ways. Um, they send a ton of money overseas, predominantly to China, um, and yep. now they're going through a lot of turmoil. Uh, I feel like they're almost in a weak place politically. Um, and so all of those things are adding up. China's the strongest it's ever been. They've come to the first world in a, in a big way. Um, they're, they're expanding their military, their Navy, their Air Force, like in, at an insane pace. They have a crazy amount of people, um, and, and they make no bones about it. Like they want to take over. Like they, they, they have built, uh, railroads, airports, shipping ports in like every country around the world, pretty much. And they're trying to basically, they offer them, they say, Hey, it's free of charge. No big deal. Whatever. Uh, and well, you repay us over time, and if you can't repay us, then we'll just take ownership of it. And so they went to a bunch of places that would have no chance of ever repaying it. So now they have uh, bases literally across the world. Um, they're aggressively been buying in Canada. They buy up a ton of real estate in both countries. Additionally, like the China has been known to buy infrastructure-based companies. Like China yeah. put a bid on Acon, which is the largest infrastructure company for us here in Canada that builds our roads, highways, railroads, shipping ports, the whole shebang. Thank God the yeah. government stopped that, but that would have been like. They have control over our ability because if a war takes place, like Acon Group's going to have to step up to the plate to help build out a lot of stuff really fast. Um, so I'm like, I think they're doing that. The other thing, like to tie in, is like it was funny how there's this concept of like the the shipping issues, like Evergrande. I was thinking about this last night. It's kind of funny. The company that owned that ship is Evergreen. The ship was called what was it? Evergiven, and now their other the real estate company Evergrande. in China is Evergrande, and I'm like. They all these things all like I'm like they sound very similar. They start with the same concept. I'm like, it's just What's weird how on? all this yeah. stuff's going on. Like it's like uh, the Panama Canal thing at the same time. So we're having this now deflationary pressure on our dollar, and then now China's like, oh, let's 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 cause this, and it's going to put more inflationary pressure on purchasing goods from us now too, um, which means we can charge more, we can funnel even more money out, put more strain on the general consumer in there, put more debt in in them. Like it's. It, I think it benefited them in a lot of ways. The other thing that was weird, like the, the Panama Canal, I'm just going to quickly mention this. Like, I'm going off because it's just like this is no, all no, the shit no, that no. I think I'm, about. I'm, but, like, good. that ship crashed. You know how many ships get stuck in there? Like, there's ships that get stuck in there all the time, and they're they're pulled out within five to 12 hours. Like, it's weird that this ship somehow got stuck for a week. And it said they're costing hundreds of millions of dollars a day, and they had two excavators out there digging? What? Are you kidding me? Like, if it's costing that much money, could you not have floated over, like, 50 excavators and had that thing unstuck in like 10 minutes like that that made no sense to me that every other ship that's ever gotten stuck in there which is like i'm pretty sure a weekly occurrence because it is a tight run they yanked them out they yanked them out no big deal and i understand okay, okay. that this one got wedged up 
but like we're, we're, we're getting all I'm getting all over yeah. the place. No, no, but it all boils like it. back like, to I, like, I okay. truly believe that this whole thing is is an attack from China on the states. Like I think we're getting into I think more you're giving them a, fishy turmoil. No, no, I I think you're right. I do think that some of it was also them realizing their own situation. Right? Yeah. Like they they play chess while the world plays checkers, I guess if you want to go that route in terms yeah. of their like kind of um they kind of have this debt and supply based colonialism. Yeah. Right? They're like, we are going to, you know, in debt, like we we're going to put you in debt to us. And like that quote I said too, like that's you giving us your liberty. Um and then these slow kind of this production and this supply chain that they are controlling mm-hmm. also kind of is their passive way that they colonize. Like the Western world, we come in guns blazing and we just colonize. And they're, <laughs> they're like, they do it very, um, it's very visual, it's very offensive, and it's right in, in your grill. Whereas, how do I turn this thing off? Man, I got a uh, silent mode. Yeah. That's, um, whereas I think the Chinese thing has been more of a, of, a, of a slow drip, right? Like it's harder to notice. When again, they just take on the world's debt. They continue to expand. Everyone's heavily, heavily reliant on them. So I think they have been doing that behind the scenes for, you know, decades and decades and decades. Um, I think they also, though, did see what was going on in their own economy, and they were like, okay, we've got a couple options here, like, you know, or we got a couple problems brewing. One, it's our own kind of debt crisis and real estate challenges. Um, and from that is going to be a huge amount of civil unrest. So, and, and we're going to be weakened potentially financially. So what could we do to get ahead of this and one, control our populace and two, put pressure on the rest of the world um, so that we aren't in a weakened position relative to them because they will also be in a weakened position. And that maybe is the argument for your grand conspiracy, which is like, all right, we control our own population by mandating that with a you know click of a button, we can isolate everyone. Um, we you know, literally infect the rest of the country and grind their economies to a halt. And then simultaneously, we do all these other workings where we drive inflation through the roof and devalue other countries' currencies because we know that our own economy and, and our currency could be at risk. But if you devalued the U.S. dollar, which is kind of the, the marker for the entire world, then that's going to come out in the wash and it's going to balance. Uh, so I think that is a We a believe that cool, they're having a crisis over there? Uh, I do for sure. Yeah? Yeah, but I, I think like they have the stomach and the, um, the coffers to bear it. Yeah, they also have the ability to change things like that to, to, to like make it happen. Like they're like, okay, we got too many houses, boom, we'll rip down yeah. a million of them. And now yeah. we're good to go again. This is the other thing. If you want to take it even broader, like I wonder if they're the ones that are also um, helping to spread, and they would be doing this very covertly, this great reset. Because you keep hearing this, oh, you know, COVID's this great opportunity for us to rebuild the economy in a much more sustainable way. And yeah, it's going to be expensive and we're all going to have to make sacrifices, but, you know, we're going to do it and blah, blah, blah. And and we're each going to have to do our part. And, you know, here in Canada, we're going to have these, you know, more carbon taxes and and all of this. And you know what they're doing in like China and these other emerging markets are like, now, you guys can do all that. We're just going to go over here and print money. We're going to still do it as cheap as we always have. We're still going to, in some respects, like oppress our own population. Uh, we're not going to care about the environment. And as a result, we're going to take the competitive advantage we already had on you, and we're going to run it through the roof. Um, and we are kind of slowly poisoning our own economies 
with this moral superiority that we're trying to have over the rest of the world when it comes to things like um, climate change. And, you know, I'm a big believer in climate change. I just think that um, we've reached the point now where we're putting all this climate change stuff on individuals. And this is why some of these big corporations were behind all this like, oh, recycle, reuse, and reduce. Mm-hmm. And saying, oh, oh, it's at the individual consumer base. The, whole, the problem with the pollution is that, you know, Timmy and Sally aren't recycling enough, which is total BS, right? Like, it's the big corporations that are polluting the vast majority, probably like 90% of the world's carbon output is from these big corporations. But we're shifting responsibility onto individuals, and now we continue to do it. Like, oh, you know, I'm voting in favor of more taxes on me. Um, and these other countries are just laughing at us. Totally. We, it's, we've talked about this before. It's like we're thinking it's all like going to be green and amazing. The thing I think with that, though, is I kind of disagree, is like the corporations are producing something that we all need and want. So it's like yeah. we're really going to make a point that we're not going to buy from that corporation. Man, and then we come back to this consumerist culture, which like just went through. Like, the ro- and, and, like and if you're going to buy from them, they have to make it some way. Yeah. The other option is you do want to pay five times the price for what you're, what you're getting. Yeah. And if you don't, then you'll go to somewhere else. So just to go back again now into some history as to like how this happened. So you had this massive, massive inflation um, in the early 70s and really bad monetary policy where they didn't know what to do. But like they were literally printing money. They got away from gold backed standard. Uh, inflation went through the roof. So they had to jack up interest rates and this big kind of crazy time, not dissimilar to what we have now, only with rampant unemployment. Um, And so someone, uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was an economic advisor to one of the presidents during the 70s that said, all right, we need to revisit these antitrust laws. Because Mm -hmm. what they were really about was not exploiting the consumer, right? They weren't necessarily saying that companies can't get too big or that monopolies are bad. What they were really about was what's best for the consumer, And in the 80s, there became this big push towards like, well, maybe big businesses are actually good because they're efficient, right? Like, say what you will about McDonald's. They make a burger for pretty damn cheap. Super cheap. Right? The fact they have to raise the cattle, import the beef, you know, bring it here, cook it, make the bread, put it like, and they still deliver that sucker to you for like three bucks. Like, it's it's unbelievable. And so in times of massive, massive inflation, what companies do well? Big corporations that have high efficiencies, Amazons, you know, McDonald's, uh, Walmart, because they can do this stuff dirt cheap. So in the 80s, um, antitrust laws kind of got thrown out, and there was this push towards these big corporations that could reach these high efficiencies to start to bring pricing back down because we're in a time of really problematic inflation. Again, not dissimilar to now. Like when we had the pandemic, where did everyone start shopping at? Online. Amazon went through mm-hmm. the roof. Walmart. All these mm-hmm. big corporations. Your mom and pops got destroyed. And maybe there's some behind-the-scenes workings there as well. Because now these multinational corporations, they could say McDonald's, they could say Nike, and they, those sound American. They're not American. right? These are very much world corps now. Now that you're on that topic, i got to say one thing. Not only did mom and pops fail, decently large corporations failed as well. There is, there is a conspiracy on the fact that Amazon, it's funny, oh, Amazon executives... Have been known to leave Amazon and then go run another company that ultimately was a competitor of Amazon, 
and somehow these companies are then going bankrupt or closing shop or yep. selling out to Amazon. Yep. And it's just it's weird how that's it's happened multiple times. You see now. like Toys R Us and what are that yeah. Bed Bath was it Bed Bath Beyond? One of the home sense types. Yeah, one of yeah. those companies did it as well. And so you're like you're seeing the Amazon network like going out into the world and then nuking these companies or bringing them exactly. in. Exactly. They 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 these companies think they're being smart because they kind of poach these executives from Amazon. From Amazon and they say, the like, best listen, oh, company you know, ever. we want you to move us online the same way that Amazon is online. And then all of a sudden those companies go to business. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this whole behind the scenes working like is, is Amazon going out there and, and you know poison pilling all of their big rivals. Um, but part of this, the, how they were allowed to do this and how these corporations were able to grow to this extent is because there was this push towards efficiencies and big corporations. And then from that, multinational corps or transnational corps that were allowed to exist outside, like they may be quote unquote American, but they're not actually American or they're not actually Canadian. They exist you know, in cheaper markets around the world. So by the 1970s, it was something like one-third of capital assets in the U.S. were actually owned, or, or one-third of capital assets owned by U.S. companies were actually outside of the U.S. So they started to expand. And in exchange, you know, oh, trade now. We're, we're, we're promoting cheaper trade and opening our trade doors to countries like China who are just like, yeah, we can do it cheaper because, you know, we don't pay our people as much. We don't have yeah. these um, stringent standards. And that started our... You know, societal indebtedness to big corporations, many of which that have have ties to China. I don't know what's going on. What have we been talking about? It's all crazy. It's all a mix. But thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this, getting anything out of it, don't forget to like, subscribe, all that. Maybe share something in here that you think's a little funky that someone else might like. Or if you've got a wicked conspiracy theory, don't forget to put it down there below. I'm trying to get as many likes as possible, man. Let's see how many eyes we can get on this weird stuff. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about uh, the real estate market, the housing market, and what conspiracy elements are out of that. Um, Neil's on about COVID and, and how that might be manipulated. Of course, I'm focused on the corporation stuff, all this crazy stuff. Keep watching. Give me a conspiracy. What's that? Give me a conspiracy. Um, so... Everyone yeah. knows the history now. They know the background. Yeah. They're educated. So I think that, um, you know, when you see... So one, some of these big multinational um, companies got into or, or exist in the banking world. Um, and we saw the big... The next big ride-up of cheap money was in the early 2000s. And there was the housing boom. And then the housing market collapsed in 2000. 2007 and there's all kinds of corruption there that isn't even really conspiracy theory it's just like fact like these were bad mortgages uh high risk the money was cheap the market was going up so these companies were were you know lending these and then these mortgages were being sold and then these mortgage-backed securities were being sold Mm -hmm. and it was a literal pyramid scheme that all collapsed and then there was a big recession between 2007 and 2010 where the average person got noticeably poor and statistically numbers wise poor but the actual richest 1% continued to get larger and larger. So then you had the Occupy movement um, in 2011, which everyone may remember, may not, that's a long time ago for you, Neil. You were only 15 years old. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. I wasn't so part of this movement. A bunch of hippies. I uh, know, just kidding. <laughs> um, the big Occupy movement was um, you know, a group of people that went down to Wall Street, and they didn't have a clear-cut agenda, which was part of their, their downfall. But effectively, they were saying, we are the 99%. You know, we are the average person we are far the majority and we have a small share of money and it's because of all this corruption. It's because of Wall Street. It's because of big business and corporations and all that. And they kind of started this um, movement that spread around the world. And eventually disbanded 
uh, you know, was broken down and it, and it ended. And the question is, well, what actually came out of it? Because um, all those companies got bailouts anyway, and you know, you can make some ties to maybe like an increased um, left presence in in politics, uh, whether it's Bernie Sanders or, or anything like that. However, I think there's something more sinister that went on because this is also the same time as the Arab Spring was going on on Facebook, mm-hmm. and I think these big corporations took two things out of that that sort of changed the world. One, they realized the power of social media to organize people. Yeah. And that if a disorganized entity that literally in their own mandate was like, we don't have a hierarchy, there's no leader of the Occupy movement, this is just free-flowing, blah, blah, blah. If they could mobilize this many people to cause this much unrest, imagine what you could do with social media if you had an agenda. Same thing with the Arab Spring. Like, like that showed big corporations and lobby groups, which, reminder, you know, corporations can lobby and do whatever they want now. Um, they realized the power of social media, and then you have things like election tampering, um, different narratives that are maybe not true, conspiracy theories, etc. The other thing they realized is like, oh my gosh, these people didn't move the decimal far enough. It's mm-hmm. not 99 and 1%. It's 99.9 and 0.1%, mm-hmm. if we're being realistic. Yeah. And what was realized within that is like, oh my gosh, there's a chance to scapegoat um, the 1% because the actual 0.1% exists on another plane. Like it is another universe that we don't even really know how they're existing. And you get these figureheads like Bezos and Zuckerberg uh, and Elon Musk, which I think are also kind of plants because they're these rock star, oddly popular figureheads and, uh, but there are the actual corporations that are out there. No one really hears but or thinks plants? about them. I don't know that they're plants by, gov- by the government. I think, I think the true point one percent corporate world. Who's evil one? Bezos. He's evil one. Bezos is evil. Elon's I think cool. they're just there to be like, Zuckerberg's oh, this alien. is the point one percent. It's that guy, right? Give people something to point to. It's like, oh yeah, it's the guy that owns Amazon or the guy that owns Tesla or the guy that owns Facebook. They're the, they're the point one percent. It's like, no, no, like the corporations that are doing the most sinister things around the world, they're not going to have a Jeff Bezos out there banging his drum. Like they're not going to be shooting each other into space. They're, you know, they move real G's move in silence, like lasagna, <laughs> as Little Wayne once said. Um, these guys are moving on the stealth, and they're happy that you're over there staring at this stuff, which is also why they're happy you're distracted by the Kardashians and, you know, they also own the media. So, you know, the sensory overload keeps people away from talking about these more sinister, dark things that are going on. Um, So my conspiracy theory is that they saw this little social unrest and they realized it was a great opportunity to do a few things. Uh, One, mobilize on social media and and kind of um, corrupt that space. Two, uh, they realized that the average person already um, unconsciously realized they couldn't touch the 0.1%. So what they targeted was the 1%. Like the person working on Wall Street does make a lot of money and that does make you angry, but they are not ruining your life, right? The, the people, the puppet masters that control all of Wall Street and, and that whole they're level of the economy... They're, they're controlling some of these things, lobbying government, um, you know, keeping pharmaceutical prices high, all that sort of stuff. But it's not the guy in your you know, grade 12 class that you graduated with who now works for a hedge fund. It's not that dude, right? It's not um, the corporation that owns you know, five franchises in your neighborhood. But 
what they've managed to do is to convince you that those people are the problem, that those people aren't paying enough taxes. And so governments run on platforms that address you know, the richest six people you went to high school with, but does nothing to address the actual richest corporations in the world. To go to the media thing, that's something that I'm like heavily like vested in the sense of like I'm interested in it. Um, it's interesting right now. I'm seeing a couple places on YouTube where like YouTube pages that are producing maybe not the most honest or properly copyrighted material, and in any normal form, if they were an American company, would be banned from their ability to post on social media. But they're from other countries. They're able to maintain their presence online through our social media platforms simply because politically if youtube or an american corporation bans one of these people from posting it's actually more of a government political issue than it has has nothing to do with youtube page it's just like whoa whoa this is like the one russian youtube page Mm. that's posting this stuff here um and if you ban that like we're taking offense to that yeah so there's a bunch of them that are getting that kind of stuff so the media one blows my mind and it's crazy. Like I'm with you on that. Like it's fully controlled at a higher level uh, to manipulate all of us to what we're interested in, what we follow, and what we believe. The thing that blows my mind that I think it's like back in the day, propaganda always seemed so much easier because there wasn't really an easy way to confirm or deny what was going on on the ground. It's back. Everyone's like, oh well, social media that people can post stuff and show us stuff. No, they can't. Like you can't post stuff. It gets reviewed. It gets pulled down. It gets mm. clagged to sensitive content, or it just doesn't get promoted. Right, like you, if you try and search for things on your on your phone that are from like the heart of Russia or the heart of China, you'll never find it. It's on there; they'll let you post it if you're in that person in China, but you'll never find it on your end of the phone, right? So, like, uh, the propaganda game is back and back in a big way through the media. Totally, and and you know, this is my own bias, I suppose, but I think, ironically, the people who are hardest you know, mo- most philosophically and politically opposed on paper to say big corporations and, you know, the status quo and the system that exists, in a lot of cases, do more damage than good because they think they're making progress. Like, I'm a, I'm a pure capitalist in a lot of ways. Like, so I see this stuff going on. I'm like, man, that's some corrupt shit. But, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to focus. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to get my piece of the pie. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of a don't hate the player, hate the game. Like this is the system we're in, and I'm gonna I'm gonna work on it. There's a lot of people who believe that they're making progress by um, setting up systems that tax um, people that are much closer to them than they think, right? Um, and all that does is kind of actually hurt the middle class mm-hmm. and you know local job starts because there's very little incentive to grow your small business past a certain point. There just is. And the reason there is is because, you know, people have been convinced that as businesses get to a certain point, now they're the devil, Mm -hmm. they should be cut down and cut off at the knees. And all that is is a misprojection of we're mad at this over here, but this is another universe. We cannot touch that. We don't even really know it exists. Again, we see these figureheads, you know, but we don't know even what that plane is. So instead, we're just a little extra mad at the people who are wealthy around us. And as a result, you get bigger taxation and bigger government and uh, then you start advancing these causes that you think are good uh, be it ESG or um, carbon taxes and all these things um, but all they do is further hurt the middle class like all of these things when you have inflation when you have 
uh, bigger government. Like, at the end of the day, this plane way up here, it doesn't affect them. It doesn't affect them at all. They're it actually squeezes the people most at risk. Yeah. Right? Like, um, and so people are clamoring for this great reset and what it's going to mean and so on and so forth. And people want it in everything. They want housing to crash. You know, they want the dollar to crash. They, they want um, a, a fresh start. But more often than not, and you can look at this history, like any time there has been terrible moments where things have crashed and there's been an opportunity for a reset, the corporations have come out of those stronger. Right in the '80s, it was the openness of, of trade and the basic throwing away of antitrust laws that allowed these corporations to get bigger and bigger and bigger and then spread multinationally. Um, you know, and then in after the housing crisis, um, you know, these corporations just continue to grow. It's not like they got smaller. And here in this moment, you know, inflation is hurting the poorer earners not the higher-end earners, right? So every time after one of these, it just gets worse for, you know, common folk and way better for the 0.1%. And then the the people who are maybe in the top, like, 1% or 5% are just like, great, so now you're going to pass a bunch of laws because you're angry at them, and, like, all we're going to get is more taxation, more headache, less incentive to grow, and, you know, no one ends up better, right? Everyone just ends up a little bit more bitter. Agreed. I'm just in my own little world now thinking about a bunch of different things. Fire them out. Let's go. Let's go. Well, no, I, for me, it was so going back to your point about how um, growing growing your business, like it gets to a point where it's so difficult to do. And like it's like they continue to put in rules and there's so many things that you just can't get past. And I'm like, it's funny how like to grow your business, it's almost like you need to meet people in that next realm and have them help you get into that level. Um, and it's like yeah. it goes all the way up the line. Like if you're like with your millionaires and your 10 millionaires and your 100 millionaires and your billionaires and like that level of monetary income or monetary value, as well as the power that comes along with being in those positions and the relationships you need to have to get there. I think if anything, the tech guys are almost a different world that's been able to surpass that. Like in like standardized business practices, you have to network your way up. And I feel like they yeah. have to almost accept you to be able to do business with you. Like there's certain, like you just can't grow your business from a certain level to the next level if you don't have acceptance from that next level because you're going to need them in some capacity, whether it's lending, uh, whether it's a product that you buy lobbying, from them, you know, lobbying, influence, like, yeah. influence, all those things. Um, and I feel like that's why you see a lot of people get stuck at a certain point. Um, but the tech world almost allowed them to go direct to consumer. It was a bit of a wild west at the start before they had all the controls in yeah. place. And so I think a lot of these guys that ran up really quickly didn't require kind of that acceptance of the upper echelon and were able to grow their businesses. And that's why you get some some of these public figures that are more um, unique, I guess we'll yeah. say, like the Elon Musks, the Mark Zuckerbergs, like they're they're unique characters and they're different than everybody else in that world that, that have been in there, that have been hierarchies for generations passed down to their families and have been the big trillion dollar families that run everything, uh, like the Rockefellers and all these kinds of people. Uh, where you never see them anywhere, and they have a very intensive code of conduct within their families and how they operate. Um, so anyways, I was just going down that path, and I'm like, it's it's a weird, weird world. Like, I'm with you that there's a whole different playing field at the, at the very top end that controls really what takes place on a day-to-day -day basis that we don't even, we're not even really privy to. We don't even get an opportunity to think about it because it's never presented to us. And I think anyone who tries to present it gets nuked. Like, I think, I think now, again, where they have control over the like, social media platforms, like if they don't like what's going on or someone's starting to get too much traction, they can just cut you out. Like we all know or heard of YouTubers and Instagramers and uh, Facebook people and, and media Shadow personalities. Band. What's that? Shadow banned. 
Shut, yeah, exactly. And you blocked. instantly you, yeah. you just get canceled. Like, and it's not even just like because the public wants to cancel you. It's because something from above wants to cancel you, right? Or everyone knows if has now heard of like YouTubers that were like a massive, and now their channels just continue to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink as they cover more and more realistic material. Um, so it's yeah, it's weird. Yeah, there's just there's different stages to this uh, tomfoolery or whatever. Like that the, the the screwing has gone at different levels. I think consumer like you sell someone on the American dream, right? Which um, for a long time was a way to kind of keep the public down a little bit. Say, like, listen, it's up to you to bring yourself up by your own britches, period. Um, and then you attach materialism to that American dream, and you sell people on this idea of, like, all right, well, here's what success means. It means all these things, these items that all depreciate in value. It doesn't mean owning stuff. It means having possessions that depreciate in value. Well, how are you going to get those? Well, we're going to lend you money to get it. Right, so you get this consumer culture that becomes a debt culture, and then you know if you want to um, squeeze the middle class out and squeeze wealth to the top, what you do is you make money really cheap. You have a bunch of people take on debt, uh, and then that debt system collapses. You have massive inflation. Uh, they effectively lose everything, which allows corporations to thrive. And then in that environment, you're like, don't worry, Big Brother will take care of you. And Big Brother's in the form of a, of a huge corporation that can provide things for cheaper than your local provider, and everyone's happy for a little while. But then you get this sort of situation where people realize, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm kind of stuck in servitude to these big corporations. And then I think you combine that with like, all right, well, someone's going to catch on to this and it's probably going to be people who are maybe like highly educated. So what happens if all these people go get an education? They look around and say, well, this is some bullshit that's going on here. Well, one way to shut those people up is to bury them in debt, right? So you've got these universities that have so much money and so much influence and have so much influence upon them that can you know, sort of dictate um, what people are learning on the one hand, but also can bury them in debt because they are the gatekeepers to any sort of prosperity in the Western world. So if you bury them in debt, there's not really that much that they can do to you. In fact, they will, if anything, work harder for you to get themselves out of debt, and they will be thankful for the job at the same multinational corporation that has maybe put them in this position to begin with. Um, yeah, that's my little tirade. That's how it Is all this? loops together. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm again. I'm just back on my on my random shit. Is it so bad though that we did it this way? Like, you look at countries that didn't go after the capitalistic style, um, and they've stayed very. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned this. <clears throat> I would say like a lot of them are third world, and like a lot of them. But it's weird. Like I, I've traveled some of these places, and you know what? The people we're gonna get killed on the terminology here because I don't think you're allowed to call places third world anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll get I executed. Know. I get executed consistently on this, but like. Um, Basically, these countries that haven't chased this concept of the American dream, haven't gone after the whole capitalistic society, like they live a lower standard of life often, like most of the time. Like they just don't have all the things that we have. But on the flip side, I'll say when I'm everywhere I'm there, I always ask the people if they're happy and they always say totally. And I'm like, do you want more? And like, no, I don't. And I'm like, have you been to the States or Canada? Yep. Do you want to go back? No. Yeah. So there's a couple of things, man. There, there's so much in there to unpack. Um, this is this weird conundrum that no one that's like, pro, you know, we need to do this great reset, we need sustainability, we need to, you know, uh, hammer the oil industry, blah, 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 blah. Like, if that's what you want, realize that those developing countries will never develop. They will have no chance. Because if we're saying they can't have petroleum-based products, yeah. um, then it, they will never have our standard of life. Right? So, so by saying that you are pro this sustainable push 
a, a requirement of that, like it or not, is to keep some of these countries down, to keep them down. Because if, like, we're basically saying that we don't want them to have cars, we don't want them to have anything petroleum-based, we want to limit their access to, you know, the main microchips that drive our world these days. Mm-hmm. Like, you are saying that, you know, we can still get to enjoy them. Like, we've got our cars, like, yeah. we got our chips, we got everything we need, so we're good. We're going to try to do a little better, we're going to put mm-hmm. a little more taxes in. Mm-hmm. But these things, we're outlawing them, we're banning them. And these other countries over here are like, well, man... Like, we're still have dirt roads. Like, yeah. you're telling us now that we don't get all those things because now you guys are starting to feel bad, you know, a you century did. later, yeah. right? Like, we still want those things. So that's a real conundrum that exists within that movement that no one in that movement seems to want to acknowledge. Uh, and then there's just also the fact that, like, is that whole movement utter BS, which is just going to further push inflation, drive up the cost of everything, which, again, does not impact the super wealth. Like, you know, to see uh, Prince Charles up there talking about, like, oh, this is a great time to reset the economy. Like, what's that dude? Prince Charles. He he hasn't bought a carton of milk ever in his (laughs) life, right? Like, it, it doesn't apply to them, and yet they're the ones who are... Making the decisions. Making the decisions, but also, like, trying to influence liberal people. Like, no, this is the right thing to do. Have the moral high ground to do this, this, and this. Yeah, it's going to cost everyone a bit more, but I think we're all going to chip in together. It's BS, man, because they, they don't care about that bill. But poor people, people in developing countries, you know, people most at risk, they are going to care about that bill. And countries like, say, Russia, China, to some extent, India, you know, the, like, they don't care about some of those things, man. No. And so they're using that to their, inve- their advantage. That's why they're growing so fast now. And even like, is it a? It seems like a weird coincidence that while all this is going on, there was also some communication and some attempts by Russia and China to create a new standard currency to get everyone off of reliance on the American dollar. Because when America went through these mm-hmm. periods of huge inflation, especially in the 70s and 80s, the only thing that maintained them was that they were still the international currency that was used for oil and all this stuff. That was the only yeah. thing that protected their dollar. And so now there's all this inflationary pressure on the American dollar and. You know, China and Russia are trying to pull the rug out they from underneath. They pull that shootout. It's right? their whole bud. And, you know, to counter that, the Western world has always produced a narrative about, you know, how evil China is and how evil Russia is. <laughs> um, and, like, a lot of people don't fully understand everything that's going in Russia Ukraine. And, and you know, we're not geopolitical scientists, so we're not going to touch that too much. But um, there's a lot of, like, a, a lot of the reasons Russia is invading Ukraine has to do with controlling resources, oil, wheat, and all the other things that Ukraine has, um, because there is this sort of um, alignment of the supply chain, and I think that Russia sees what China has managed to do by just controlling supply, and not surprisingly, they're thinking, yeah, us too, and it's a terrible thing to to invade a country like that, but the reason they did it is, not surprisingly, economically motivated, supply motivated. Totally. Uh, Ukraine, too, they have the neon supply, which is a global required thing, and they produce like 80% of it. Yeah. That's not actually neon, but (laughs) (laughs) we'll pretend that it is. Yeah. Um, Okay. I think we've gone over a bunch of stuff. We're nearing the end of this. I have three high-level ones that I'm just going to get you to respond to. Okay. Number one, housing market is artificially manipulated by realtors. That's false. We are not that influential. (laughs) We're not that skillful. I think it's influenced by... um, I do believe that it's influenced by 
big corporations who are behind the lending practices who want to control debt and inflation swings to fit their convenience. Mm. Number two, EXP Realty is a pyramid scheme. Uh, I, I, I think, <laughs> yes, by definition it is, but I don't know enough about their model. But if, if like I work for a company and then I get a certain percentage of everyone I bring underneath me, and then I get a smaller percentage of everyone they bring underneath them, and then they also get that percentage, like... It's a, fa- it's a, f- a little bit like a triangle. <laughs> it's so. a five-tier system. Oh, okay. And you pay a capped amount of fees per year. It's $16,000. All five tiers, though, get $14,000 of your 16000 So they only get two grand plus transactional fees. Yet they made a net profit of $300 million this year. Also, you get all of your money back in stock stock options. Is this an advertisement? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just, I've just went, I was digging into it last night because oh. the numbers never made sense to me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, anyways, so XP Realty, you, you tend to think it is a pyramid. Uh, I think it has uh, a pyramid shaped components to it, but I think it's. it's if, you're, if you're not I, a I realtor, I'll explain a little bit better. But so XP Realty is another brokerage that's out there. It's all online based. You've probably seen it because it's blowing up all over the world. Um, and like Chandler mentioned, if let's say I refer Chandler into it, I get a percentage of his business. Uh, if Chandler refers somebody else into it, he gets a percentage of their business and I get a percentage of their business. And that goes down for five tiers. But once you get to the fifth tier, you can have a thousand agents underneath that. It's not pyramid scheme. It's multi-level marketing. Multi-level marketing, exactly. It's yeah. uh, it's always the office where he draws it, and then he like puts the pyramid <laughs> around. It. No, like you're not understanding. I'm here. <laughs> These two are here. And then there's four and <laughs> them. And uh... um, but uh, so and then you have a cap set of fees, which you can also receive back once you hit a certain production level in a stock. And so I've always felt that it was a pyramid scheme because they're giving away eighty percent of it in referrals. And then they're also giving you stocks, mm-hmm. which you're effectively buying into, but it's they're just handing them out. Thing. And it just keeps working right now because yeah. it's on the market until the <laughs> stock keeps getting value. But I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm concerned. Anyways, number three, uh, luxury real estate is predominantly money laundering. Ooh. Predominantly? Maybe not predominantly, but a good portion of luxury yes. real estate is money laundering. Yeah. And that's but we, but we have a we're not talking like a million dollar home. We're not talking even a five million dollar home. No, we're no, we're talking the big ten million, twenty yeah. million dollar homes, uh, where you're seeing like full suburbs of these things in places where all the houses are empty and it's like, well, what's going on here? Like if you drive through any of these fancy suburbs. I think it's more even like, well, who bought that thirty five million dollar penthouse that's that's vacant? Like Yeah, and there's yeah. tons and tons and tons of those. The other thing is I think there's a lot of like on a lower level, there's a lot of cash that gets used to do to build these houses. Mm-hmm. Um so they're taking cash and they're cleaning, cleaning. it through that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then additionally, on the flip side, when people are buying and selling them, like I think it's like, and I owe you $35 million, so I'm buying this house off. Like, there's things yeah, like that that and, get and, done a lot. And to be clear, like, laundering doesn't necessarily mean it comes from, the, the money comes from illegal sources, per se. Sometimes it's just yeah. about getting it out of one country and into another country. Totally. Exactly. Do you yeah. have any other weird ones you want to hit me with before oh. we cap this off? God. Before I wear my tinfoil hat out in public? Um, 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 man, I, I don't know. That's all, that's all I got for conspiracy theories. Okay, COVID's fake. Thanks oh. for listening. That's don't that <laughs> no, you're gonna get us flagged. They're gonna have to put the thing on the bottom. COVID is not fake. We'll bleep it, it out so nobody real. hears the word. But there's some shady stuff going on yeah. around it and regulating. Thanks for the hundred likes, guys. Well, this is kind of fun. Um, yeah, it was kind of reporting live from the one. bunker. We're signing out. Yeah. Like, comment, subscribe, block, cancel. <laughs> <laughs> cancel us, YouTube. All right. All right, bye.
Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits.